Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let's pray together. Would you join me in bowing your head and asking the Lord for help this morning? Heavenly Father, if your word is to be believed that James just read, we really need you right now. We really, with all of our heart, need you. We need you to come by your Holy Spirit and make real to us, make true to us, your holy word. So would you help us? And when we've come or where we've come with postures of pride, would you forgive us? Would you humble us and help us to receive all that you have? In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, becoming a truly wise person, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. I wish wisdom was like a bolt of lightning where I'd get hit with it and I would wake up the next morning suddenly finding myself to be a more mature person both with other people and in relationship to God. But that's not how wisdom works. It's not how it works. This morning as we continue our series in Proverbs, we're asking the question again, how do we become wise? How do we become these wise people? More specifically this morning, where do we begin? Where do we begin? In, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at various case studies, looking at things like anger and money and speech and friendship, and that's all good and right, and I'm excited for those sermons. But wise speech and wise friendship, wise restraint, wise use of our money doesn't just happen doesn't just happen. We have to begin somewhere. We must take a certain posture at the start of our wisdom journey. Well, what does that look like? This morning, I want us to see three things. First, the wise resist. Second, the wise remain. And third, the wise rely. First, the wise resist. Our text reads, Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 2, 
Have it open in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you have some at the back. You can take it and keep it. It's our gift to you. But have your Bible open, either on your phone or in physical copy, and read these with me. My son, Solomon writes, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. We're all getting our wisdom from somewhere. Maybe it's from our neighbors. Maybe it's from the streets. Maybe it's from the TikTok. Maybe it's from pop psychology or the latest bestseller. We're all getting our wisdom from somewhere. And to think we're not every day living out our implicit and unspoken version of the good life or the wise to us life is to kid ourselves. We are turning to ourselves and to others all the time in an effort to learn how to best live in this world. We are hardwired as people this way. And the book of Proverbs knows this. And so Solomon says, and Solomon writes, let me tell you where to look. Let me tell you to whom you should turn. What did verse 1 say? Look there again. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. In Proverbs, true wisdom comes from God to the parent, to the youth, or to the simple ones, the impressionable ones. It is godly wisdom designed to come to mom and dad, to the kids. In Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 famously says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction." And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. The task of the parent, both then and now, is to wisely show and speak to our children what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. But what if you don't have a wise father or a wise mother? Or what if you don't have kids? Does the wisdom then stop with you? You just receive and there's no one to pass it on to. Here's what we need to see this morning. When we read the Bible as one big, beautiful, glorious story, we see that when we get to Jesus, Jesus, the fulfillment of the wisdom we find talked about here in Proverbs, Jesus will radically redefine and expand the family to include spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual brothers and sisters. And so in the New Testament, while biological parents are by no means absolved from their responsibility to impart godly wisdom to their children, this work of wisdom generating and wisdom passing on is spread out to the church, belongs in the domain of the church, because the church, you and I, joined by the Spirit, have become the family of God. And that's good news, because if we are to get wisdom, it's going to come from outside of you. If we are to get wisdom, it's going to come from outside of you. It's going to come from a spiritually mature person in the church and not from yourself. And to live your life without humbly receiving the wisdom of the wider church is textbook foolishness. Wisdom is not zapped into us. Wisdom is always mediated. It can come, sure, through observing creation, as Solomon writes about, 
It can come and does in fact come from experience, of course, and it can come from study. But wisdom primarily comes to us through people, through people. People who know God, love God, enjoy God and his word. See, the good news is if we have hearts to receive it, it is easy to get wisdom. Easy. What's hard, what's hard is resisting all the forces trying to take it from us. The wise get wisdom and resist every power that would seek to lead them astray from it. So look at Proverbs 3, verse 1 again. Again, Bible's open. Look at it with me. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. R resisting alternative wisdom is a whole body exercise. Do you see that? It's a whole body exercise. The son is to memorize these sayings, these wise sayings of the parent. We should stop there for a second. You should read Proverbs this summer. You should read Proverbs, all of it. Every single chapter of Proverbs, you should read it. But you should not read Proverbs like a narrative, just reading it straight through, kind of forgetting what you just read. No, Proverbs are meant to be memorized and sat in and chewed on. And so that while we're sitting on the bus or on our couch, Right, they're rolling around in our head and we're extracting all the goodness there for us. But these sayings can't just remain in our head. They must travel that long distance to our hearts. The, the word translated heart that we find in our passage is found 46 times in Proverbs and over 800 times, many, many more times in the rest of the Old Testament. And while used differently in different places, in different contexts, here the heart refers to wisdom that shapes our desires and our loves. Because the Old Testament writers, just like the New Testament writers, they all knew something about how we work as people. And that's this. Ready? We do what we love. We don't do what's logical. We don't do what's rational. We do what we love. What we love is what we do. And so Solomon, this wise father, is saying, in your heart, guard, be vigilant, keep. Fight off any enemies who would, who'd take this wisdom that you've received from you. Keep it. Guard it. For as one old Puritan theologian put it, while the greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God, John Flavel then says, the greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Isn't that true? So true. So how do we do this? How do we resist? How do we resist? Very practically, I want us to think about our eyes and our ears for a moment. Think about our eyes and our ears. First, our eyes. Here's the question. What are you watching? What are you looking at? Like with your physical eyes, what are you looking at? Do you go out of your way to wisely gaze upon what is good and beautiful and true? Or do you watch garbage? So I love action movies. I, I love them. 
Like, you like them, I love them. Like, there's nothing I want to do more at the end of a long week than watch, like, an action movie. The new Jack Ryan that's come out, I'm so excited for that. But most action movies these days, here's what I'm finding, are actually just revenge movies. Movies full of so-called cool people doing so-called cool things with so-called cool weapons. And I began to notice in me, this is just me talking now, maybe it's not you, but it's me. I began to notice that after watching these movies, I would have these rage fantasies. And I would find myself daydreaming about how I would exact justice on people who wronged me or wronged my family. And at the same time, I stumbled on Proverbs 3.31. And Proverbs 3.31 says this, later in our chapter, Solomon will write, Do not envy a man of violence. Do not look longingly at John Wick or Ethan Hawke as the picture of manliness, if we were to extrapolate it. And do not choose any of his ways. Or maybe you don't watch garbage. Maybe your YouTube home screen is full of foodie content or home decor content or motorcycle content. I pick those at random. I'm not singling you out. (laughs) You need to know, we need to know, we will love what we look at. We will love what we look at. We will love what we look at. The discerning, Proverbs 17, 24, the discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. That is, people who have hope in this life only, ungodly places doing ungodly things. The discerning sets his face, his eyes, their eyes towards wisdom. What are you looking at? What about our ears? What are you listening to? In Proverbs, the fool doesn't just say dumb things. The fool listens to dumb things. They do not listen to rebuke. They do not listen to instruction. Instead, Proverbs 17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to to a mischievous tongue. And here's the idea in, in this verse. The idea here is that as you sit and listen to people plot evil, or gossip, or speak maliciously about someone else, you begin to take part in the lie that that's okay. You're saying, I- I'm accepting your view of the world. I'm saying, that's okay. That's right. And you're, and you're giving into the lie. You're living into that lie. We may give it socially acceptable names like venting, right? Or sharing. Or in the church, we call it a prayer request, Right? But we just gossip about somebody else and say, oh, it's a prayer request for this hard neighbor of mine. But it is really uh, what Pastor Ray Ortland calls garbage collecting. It's garbage collecting. Listen to how he describes what he calls a garbage collector. He says, someone in the group becomes the one to whom disgruntled people go. Because that person will listen and sympathize and be a shoulder to cry on and a rallying point for complaints and a hero to those with hurt feelings. And that listener becomes a bigger problem in the group than the talkers. You might be a garbage collector. You might pay a lot of money to see a garbage collector. And the difference between a garbage collector and a godly listener 
is that at some point, the godly listener will call you to bring your stuff under the fear of the Lord. Becoming a wise person doesn't just happen. A wise person must actively resist. Must actively resist. Second thing. The wise remain. The wise remain. Bible's open, verses 3 to 4. Look there with me. Let not, Solomon writes, steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. When I was, I think, like 13 years old, I got this big cross necklace to wear to school. And at the time, it was a big deal for 13-year-old Jake. I thought I was taking this big stand for my faith, right? I was going to wear this cross necklace to school and go. And I don't remember anybody saying anything about it. See, what 13-year-old Jake didn't know was that it's easy to wear external adornments. It's easy to be externally different, to get a haircut or change your clothes. What's really hard is being internally different. What's really hard is being internally transformed. And what's really hard, it seems like especially for my generation, is being people of steadfast love and faithfulness. People who through ups and down remain. The kind of people described in Proverbs 17, 17. Listen, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. How do we become these kind of remaining people? Notice the character of the wise described here is the very character of God himself. It's the very character of God himself. In Exodus 34, the Lord in this extreme moment of glory passes before Moses. And he declares his character before Moses in this beautiful moment saying, the Lord, the Lord. How does the Lord describe himself? What's on his bio? A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. That's his character. And we become steadfastly loving and faithful people by spending time with and orbiting our lives around the God who has steadfastly loved us. The God who is faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. We become like him as we know him. See, verse 6 in our passage today is one of those well-known verses. If you grew up in the church, you know Proverbs 3, verse 6. It says this, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, I don't know about you, but that word acknowledge to me, it sounds like, you know, when an actor wins an Oscar, and he acknowledges, like, the lighting crew and says, you know, thank you for helping me look good so I could win this Oscar. It's a bit weak, See, the word in the Hebrew is much more uh, specific than that. The word literally is know him. In all your ways, know him. And knowing in the Bible is incredibly intimate language. It's the language of lovers. 
It has to do with experiencing God's presence. It's the language of deep, abiding, joyful, life-giving relationship. The wise person knows God, not just doctrinal points about God, but knows God's very presence, sits with him, loves to be with him. And in knowing God, the wise person is transformed, is changed. See, hear this. Here's the good news. God loves to take flaky, uncommitted, self-interested people and turn them into people who reflect his own steadfast love and faithfulness. He loves to do it. And let me tell you something else. When a community of God-knowers is transformed in this way, transformed into a people who remain, watch out. Like, watch out. That's a community you need to watch out for. That community is so appealing to a flaky and transient world. That that community is so disarming to those who would prefer to, from the sidelines, lob accusations of bigotry and hatred when we stick it out for the long haul, for the good of the community, for the good of each other, and for the good of our neighbors. It's so winsome that, of course, Proverbs 3, verse 4, favor and success would find us. That favor and success would come to us in the sight of God and man. Who doesn't want to be part of a community like that? Who doesn't want to be in on that? Christ, let me challenge us this morning. I want us to hear this. Commit to loving one another through thick and thin. Be loyal to the people of God. Which means... Endure frustrating people. Endure frustrating pastors. People who take one step forward and two steps back. It means taking initiative with people. It means reaching out to see how people are doing. Not moping at home because no one said hi to you but being the faithful friend you wish you had to somebody else. And it means no less than showing up. Show up on Sunday morning. Show up for community group. Show up for prayer. Show up for planned things and unplanned things. If we want to be a winsomely wise community, we need to see that the wise remain when all all else have left, all else have abandoned that the wise persist, that the wise are faithful, not because we are these things on our own, but because God is like this towards us. So the wise remain. Last point, third thing, the wise rely. Verses 5 to 8, really the heart of our passage this morning. Look at it in your Bible. It says this. Verses we perhaps have heard before. Hear them afresh this morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Some of you will have had this experience before with an aging parent 
or grandparents, where they, either due to just age or disease, are dependent upon you for their reality, for their understanding. I remember sitting at the bedside of my dying grandfather and having to convince him that it was me, his grandson, and not some young punk trying to steal his wallet. It was a little bit funny, but also a little bit terrifying. It's terrifying. And it must have been so difficult for him, right? This accomplished, successful, well-respected man in the community, now relying on me, this snot-nosed teenager, for his very reality. No, Grandpa, that's not true. No, Grandpa, they didn't come yesterday. No, Grandpa, your doctor is still coming today. Having to receive from me what is true and what is false. And it's easy for us as we sit at the bedside of these people to grow frustrated with this person who fails to see things as they truly are. But as I thought about this experience, right, what what must this be like for them, I imagine it would be terrifying. And not just terrifying, but to trust your reality to another person, to entrust your, your very sense of what is true and false to another person is extremely and painfully humbling. It's painfully humbling. And yet this painful, humbling experience is something every follower of Jesus must undergo. Must undergo if we are to be wise. Solomon says, listen, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own perception of how things are. Be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The word trust here means something like to fall on your face. It's not pretty. It means something like to fall on your face. As one author said, it's, it's to do a belly flop on God with all our sin and all our failures and all our fears. It's to say, God, you see the picture clearly. I only see it partially. God, you know what's best for me. I only think I know what's momentarily best for me. It's a complete surrender to the wisdom of God for our lives. It's saying, if anything good is going to come out of my life, for me, for my family, for my community, for this city, it's because, God, I listen to you. And not partly, not with hesitation, but with all the confidence and boldness you give me, I want to follow you. And so so let's not, again, overcomplicate this. How many of us can truly say this morning, we trust in the Lord, that our hope is in Him? How many of us can truly say this morning, we do not lean on our own understanding? Again, famous verses, but life-changing if we grab hold of them. Well, how do we know if we're doing this? I want to borrow two diagnostic questions from that same pastor, Ray Ortland, who I quoted earlier. And he puts it in these two questions. He said, you know, ask yourself these two questions to know if you're really trusting in the Lord. There's more we could ask, but we'll keep it at two this morning because you got lunch plans. First question. First question. You can write this down if you like. When was the last time you let the Bible overrule your way of thinking or overrule your own thinking? Orlin puts it like this. 
He says, do you merely agree with the Bible or do you obey the Bible? My dog sometimes agrees with me, but she never obeys me. If you merely agree with the Bible, then your response is not obedience, listen, but coincidence. If you merely agree with the Bible, then your response is not obedience, but coincidence. It's just that the prejudices you have soaked from your culture happen to line up with the Bible at that point. If we're not in the Word and weekly being like, I'm going this way, oh, I got to go this way now, or I thought this, oh, I think this now, if that's not happening regularly for us, let me just say, we're not reading the Bible as it's meant to be read. Are you allowing the Bible to overrule your own thinking? Often. Often. And, and, and not just the Bible read by yourself in, in your room, but when your friend comes and says, here's a verse, I'm concerned about you, I love you, you need to turn. Second question. When was the last time you took a risk to obey Jesus? When was the last time you took a risk to obey Jesus? Ortland puts it like this. If you trust the Lord entirely, you will also trust him exhaustively across the whole of life. If you trust the Lord entirely, you will also trust him exhaustively across the whole of life. If our lives our parenting, our marriages, our finances, our everything looks just like our unbelieving neighbor, it is probably because we're not trusting the Lord at all, but in some form of human wisdom that's shared throughout this city, some sort of wisdom we've all kind of agreed upon. What would it mean for you, for me, for us to trust in the Lord? How would your life be different? What would you go without? How would you spend your time? How would your schedules and your plans change? See, here's the rub, though. God invites us to trust in him, to go through this painful process of humbly acknowledging our limitations when it comes to wisdom, saying, God, you're God, I'm not. Why? Why, though? Is it because God is cruel and mean and vindictive? Is that why? No. Hear this, Christ City, because God knows what's best for us, and he loves us. Did you see that throughout our text this morning? In the eight verses we read, we find four instances where commands are paired with motivating promises. We have a command and then an incentive, a command and then an incentive, a command and then an incentive, a command and then an incentive. Do this thing so that this thing will happen. And in just eight verses... Solomon has promised the moon to us. He said this, listen, length of days and years of life, peace, favor and good success in the sight of God and man, straight paths in a crooked world, healing to our flesh, refreshment to our bones. Who doesn't want these things? We all do. Our Father who loves us wants us to experience all these things. And the path he lays out for us is not arbitrary. No, he's giving us a secret to a flourishing life. Now, we have to read these promises rightly. We know that God sends both good and painful things into our life. Our very next verses in Proverbs 3 read like this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline 
or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as the Father, the Son, in whom he delights. Some of you this morning are being disciplined by the Lord because he loves us and he loves you. And in fact, that very discipline, according to Hebrews, is proof that you're a child of God. So don't shirk it. Don't ignore it. He loves you. We also know that in the world of the Bible, the highest good is not money, it is not wealth, it is not fame, it is not health, but knowing God. The highest good in the world of the Bible is knowing God in the person of Jesus. To take these verses then, as some do, as the prosperity gospel does, and make God a means to an end is to show, is to prove that you don't love God at all. You just love your bank account. You just love your body. You just love yourself. And yet, at the same time, as much as these are not prosperity gospel verses, we need to see that our experience, by and large, backs up what Solomon is saying. He's saying there is a here and now blessing that comes when we live, if we can think about it like this, when we live with the grain of the universe, right? It's like being in the canoe and going down the river as opposed to trying to fight the current upstream. There is here and now blessing as we live with the grain of the universe. But ultimately, because we read Proverbs in view of the whole Bible, this here and now blessing gives way to a bigger then and there blessing. See, in Proverbs, life does not, does not just refer to a long life, just as death does not just refer to a premature or early death. When we wisely rely on the Lord, we inherit eternal life. To wisely fear the Lord is there, therefore to escape eternal death. So Proverbs 23, 17 to 18 says this, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Listen, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. If we want to experience true eternal healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones, we must entrust our reality both now and into the future to the Lord and turn away from evil. Which is why true wisdom always begins with one very simple step, putting your faith in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. We must resist, we must remain, and we must, with all the strength we can muster, we must rely, we must put our faith in Jesus. Only then will we be the kind of church the kind of people who are truly wise. Let's pray. So Father, we've sung now of trusting in you and putting our trust only in you. We've heard now that we are to put our trust only in you through your word. And now as we respond, not just in these moments, but with our whole lives, we ask that we would obey your word. That there would be concrete tangible marks of obedience, steps of obedience as we leave this place to trust you in the everyday stuff of our life. And for some here, Lord, that trust looks like putting their faith in you for the first time. And I pray, Lord, if there's any here who have not put their faith in you, that they would do so now, that they would bend the knee, that they would belly flop onto God with all their sin, all their failures, all their shame, and say, God, you take it all. And they look to the cross 
and see in the person of Jesus a right and good sacrifice in their place. For those of us who walk with you for a while now, Lord, help us to become wise. And where we've got off on the wrong footing, help us to return. Help us to resist. Help us to remain. And help us to rely. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.